who is here this morning, would you like to speak to the Lord? Would you ask Him to help you this morning? Ask Him to encounter you afresh. Ask Him to speak to you. All of us are here because we need His help. We need more of His input into our lives. We need a touch from Him. Ask Him to please touch you. That while on others, He's calling, He should not pass you by. Ask God to help you. He's your father, even as our reverend already reminded us this morning. Ask him to please do something tangible. You will not walk away the same way that you came. Because even at the crossroad of your life, he will encounter you this morning. We have prayed in Jesus' name. Our father, I want to thank you again this morning because truly you're going to help us. Lord, you're bringing to us a matter that none of us can say we are free from. Lord, if there is one area that we need help as your children, it is this particular one. Lord, I don't have answers, but you have all the answers, Papa. And so as we look up to you together this morning, Lord, I'm trusting that you will simply come to us and we will know that, yes, God has spoken to all of us, perhaps me especially. Have your way this morning and let your spirit be very generous with yourself to us this morning in Jesus' name. Please sit down. I want to thank our leadership for giving me yet another opportunity to share with us this morning on a topic that says pressing beyond the crossroads of life. Pressing beyond the crossroads of life. And our text, like our sister already read, came from Ruth 1 verses, um, well, she read more, but our focus is on 14 to 16. I do not have a lot of time as I seem to have uh, quite a bit to share with us. So I'm just going to start right away. Ordinarily, um, a crossroad is like an intersection. Many of us drive, or if we're not driving, somebody is carrying us. And most times we come to road intersections. And when we get to such intersections, we may need to make a left, make a right, go straight or something. That's what we call crossroad. You have two or more roads at at a meeting point. And you have to, even when we get out of the hospital gate, we're going to be making a left or a right. We need to turn necessarily in one direction or the other. Praise the Lord. But you know, as I I wondered again, crossroad, could there be more to the word crossroad? Is it it just with reference to, to road intersections? I discovered that the, the word crossroad can also apply to situations in our lives where we have to make crucial decisions. And these decisions that are made will have far-reaching consequences. In other words, I'm at a point in my life where I need to make a decision. And that decision that I'm going to make will have very far-reaching consequences. That means that the decision I need to make is going to be very weighty. It's going to be very important. It's going to be very vital because it will have multiplying effect that is a crossroad in my life and the truth is that a decision has to be made you need to take a decision you need to push through something and you're asking what should I do the left is it right many of us these days we go to visit people and when we get to somewhere we're suddenly lost we have to call them and say look I don't know where, how to turn now. Make a left turn, make a right turn. And the person may tell us, make a right. If you had not called that person and you made a left turn, where you should have made right? Are you going to get to the destination? No, you would go very, very far away. So, 
this decision that we have to make is not just any decision. You know, there is a desired decision. There is a profitable one. There is a beneficial decision that I have to make at this crossroad of my life. I have to make a decision that is going to be profitable, that is going to be beneficial, that is going to turn out to be the one that I desire, the one that I really ought to have made in the first place. So this is, is crucial, is, is important, is, is very, very, very important for me to make this decision. And I can, like we said already, the, the applications, the implications can be very, very wide. Praise the Lord. Without wasting time again, I want us to look at the Bible. I began to say, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to share with my brethren, because if there's somebody that needs to sit down and listen to this message, it is me. For me to be the one sharing it, what am I going to be saying? And I began to look, and God began to show me people in the Bible that came to crucial um, crossroads in their lives and the implications thereafter of the decisions that they took at those times. And we already saw one of them in our lesson, that is our sister Ruth. If you look at that story very, very well, you will see that Ruth had already determined, as we saw, that she was going with her sister-in-law. All of them actually got ready to go. How do I know that? When we read verse 6 of verse 7 of Ruth 1, I see that with her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them. It didn't say take her. It said take them back to the land of Judah. So they must have, I know they had finished crying, they had done all the burials, there was nothing else. If you read the NIV Bible, it says that Naomi's emptying was complete. Emptying. She poured out everything. And it, it was ironical. Naomi and her husband had fled to that town because there was famine in her own land. So she went there in order for them to preserve life. But where she went to preserve life, she found death. Her husband died. Her two sons died. They had married and they had no children. So her emptiness, as far as that goes, was total and complete. She was alone, and she was going back now to her land. There was nothing else to do in this place. And somehow she heard that God had visited his people, and there was food in her land. So she was going to go back. And her daughters-in-law were going to go with her. So they packed up their things. They were married now. So even if it's in Igbo culture, they belonged to Judah now. And so they were all going. I don't know what happened, really. I don't know what happened along the road. I think it was along the road that thoughts began to come to Naomi's heart. These girls I'm taking back to Judah. What will I even do for them when I get to Judah? We left a long time ago. There's no guarantee that my husband's, whatever house we had is even standing. There's no guarantee that I have food. I'm not an old woman. What do I have to offer these this young girls? It actually doesn't make sense to take them back with me. And so, Naomi asked them, my dear daughters, I think it is better you go back to your people. Go back. Be amongst your own people. Go back to your gods. Go back. You, you would at least be able to marry again. There's no point. There's nothing with me. My emptiness is complete. Nothing to go back with me for. And when she said that, Opa decided to go back. Frankly speaking, Opa's decision was the most sensible thing to do. If it were my relative in that situation and she calls me on the phone and says, see what my mother-in-law is telling me. I'll probably tell her, please come back. I don't know what you might have said. I'm just saying what I might have said. 
So Opa didn't do anything wrong, and Opa decided to go back. But our sister Ruth decided that she was going to remain with this woman who had absolutely nothing to offer her. She decided to go back. And I began to look again. For Ruth, it was a very major crossroad. She was standing. Go with this woman. Make her left. Go back to my people. At least my people would show me love, concern, all of those. This woman, nothing. 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 Nothing at all. There was nothing. If she was in her place, maybe she was doing business. Maybe she was making cake. At least she would still be supplying cake. If she was sewing clothes, maybe she would continue to sew. But this one now, nothing. And I want us to know that many times when we stand at some crossroads in our lives, the, the thing that may be looking like this is what God wants me to do has nothing at all attached to it. No prospect. You can't see anything. And so being the human being that you are, if you're not careful, you will begin to look the other way. Because frankly speaking, what made Ruth to go? Me, I want to, there are people that I want to ask many questions. Ruth is one of them. When I see her in heaven, I'm going to say, tell me, why did you follow Naomi? Why did you follow Naomi? She had nothing to offer you. But she went with her. Why did she go? I began to seek answers. And I, the only thing I could think of is that her heart had caught something. Perhaps from her mother-in-law. Maybe the woman was telling them stories of this, their God do. You know wherever the Jewish people are, they tell stories about their God, about his exploits. And actually that's what the Bible says. Tell, tell, tell. Recount what God. So she was recounting. In this my land, you know that God, he is Jehovah. He did this. He caused the waters to open for my people. He did that and that. So Ruth had been hearing. In her own land, they had gods. But she had never heard any fantastic stories about her gods. Because they don't do anything. So something must have connected in the heart of Ruth. Even before that day. So that when she got to that crossroad. She decided I'm going to go with this God. And so she made those very powerful utterances. Your God will be my God. You know I began to look at it in other Bibles. Some, some Bibles have God capital. The second God capital. Some have the second one small. But King James has your God will be my God, that is the capital God, the only true God, this your God will be my own. Even where you die, that is where I will die. A young girl that married, that her husband died, got to those points of being bold enough to say, I will go with you, whatever. She had caught a glimpse of God. She had caught something that made her to realize that this God is the one to follow. Praise the Lord. Her heart has latched onto something. And for that reason, Naomi's present deplorable, pitiable, miserable condition was not going to deter her. It was not going to deter her at all. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. She saw beyond. So, I'm not saying she knew what was going to happen. She didn't know. But that that God that her heart connected with was able to look beyond this Naomi's nothingness. This deplorable condition of Naomi. And so, despite great unimaginable challenges around her, she chose to forge ahead. She took a crucial decision at this crossroad of her life and clung tenaciously, not unto Naomi, so to speak, 
unto the God of Naomi. Praise the Lord. And so God saw something in, in Ruth. God saw her selflessness, saw her loyalty, and saw her absolute devotion and decided to bless her beyond measure. At the time Ruth was going, the only thing she knew to do was that I will get mama bathing water. I will cook mama's food when we can find food. And I'm asking, if me, I'm a young girl at that crossroad of my life, is that all I want to do with my life? To be looking after an old woman, fetching water for her, washing her clothes? Because really, that was all that Naomi could see at that time. There was nothing else now. There was nothing else. If she was going with her, it was to go and wash her clothes. Selflessness. She was not looking at her own needs at that time. She saw an old woman that had come to depend on her. She saw an old woman that she needed to, to, to make something of her life. Help her. Make life easier for her. And that was the only thing that Ruth was going there to go and do. Praise the Lord. But we know the rest of the story, don't we? The Lord blessed her. And this lady from a tribe that God has said he didn't want them in their generation, became one of the forebears of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to rush again to Esther. In Esther 4, 15 to 16, we have the story of Esther. Queen Esther was at a major crossroad in her own life. Things had happened. Her parents had died and God helped her. Her uncle brought her up. There was a beauty pageant. She got selected. She got into the king's palace. And one day like that, her uncle called her and said, No, if you're dead, doing queen. All of us are dead people. All of us are dead, including you in that place. Because this thing that this man, her man has planned, even you cannot escape it in the king's palace. And she was totally confused. Because even though she was a queen, the law of that land, very interesting law, did not permit her to just see her husband when she wanted to. You know, we don't, we take for granted the things that we enjoy. We don't really appreciate them until you live in a place like that. Where you couldn't see your husband if you, if you wanted to. If you made a mistake and knocked on the door to see your husband, death penalty immediately. There is no revoking it. After all, was that not how his first wife was, was uh, deposed? It was just that he was angry. He sent for her, she didn't answer. And the people said, this woman cannot afford to do this. And someone would say, ah, a man, they are married to a woman. You didn't even remember anything about that woman that you were married to. She was simply removed like that. It was after his anger abated. He said, hey, it's true, where's my wife? He said, she has been removed from here. Find another one. That was the Israelite of Esther's life. So she knew. If she entered there, that was the end of her. To keep quiet meant her people and perhaps herself would be dead. Daring to go to see the king, death. If I, Esther is at a crossroad. If I go to see the king, um, if I stay, I don't go to see him. Um, what will Esther do? Talk about crossroad. That was a major one. You can imagine how many sleepless nights Esther had. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And the uncle was putting pressure. Don't waste time. This matter is urgent. What did she do? She said, okay, let's go, go and fast for me. Go and beg God to help me. She waited. She said, I'll wait with my maidens. You also go and fast for three days. And gather all the Jews living in Susa. Thereafter, I will arise. Though it is against the law of the land to go and see the king, I will go. And if I perish, I perish. We repeat that and it sounds so easy. It couldn't have been easy because she knew the perishing might come true, true, true. But she had resolved at that time that she was going to go. And we know that Esther went and the Lord granted her 
mercy. And we're still looking at crossroads and doors that were crossed. What about those three young men? The Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel 3, 4, and 5. 14 and 15, I beg your pardon. They too got to a major crossroad in their lives. You know, it was when Daniel got elevated that he recommended those ones for appointment. And they were doing well as well. All of a sudden, there was this decree. And that decree was contrary to their convictions. You and I that are sitting here, several times we come to points, crossroads in our lives, where decisions that are taken around us affect us negatively. We have to take a decision. If I do this, I'm going to offend God. If I don't do it, I'm going to offend my boss. What do I do? And so what did these young people do? They said, it was already obvious that they were men of um, um, honor and integrity. So when that thing happened, and the king was told there were some people who they didn't do. He said, bring them, bring them quickly. He saw these ones. Kai, the king didn't know what to do. These ones are good people now. So he said, I'll give you a second chance. Please, you know, I don't want to kill you. Really, I don't want to kill you. Just bow, and then all will be well. And the boy said, sir, we're not careful to answer you in this matter. We, we're Jews now. We can't bow before an idol when we have Jehovah God. Whatever you want to do, do. We've decided we're not going to bow. Take us, throw us into the furnace as already um, planned. Our God, we know, is able to save us. But know it that even if he does not, we will not bow. Again, I saw people that came to a crossroad and decided to die there. Because that's what happened. At the point they said, throw us into the fire. How were they to know God was going to rescue them? There was no way of knowing that. Or they died. Really, they died. And when God saw that these ones had died for him, he sent someone to them. Praise the Lord. And so their lives were spared. What about Daniel himself? He too was not spared. He too got to a crossroad. Daniel. They, in fact, it was a plot. It was a gang up. And he didn't know what to do. He already knew that. The Bible says that in Daniel 6. As was his custom. So it was already his, 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 um, his, his habit to pray to his God. And this was just to get him. I, I, that Daniel 6 is a chapter that I love reading so much. I didn't want to get into that because it would take all our time. David was a man in whose hand the things of God were, were, were put in. And the Bible says that. So that the kingdom would not suffer loss. Because the king did not want the kingdom to suffer loss. The things, the matters that were important were put in the hand of Daniel. Today, God is not wanting his things to suffer loss. And he has put them into your hand and I. I don't know what we're doing. I don't know what we're doing. And so they put Daniel. They, they cooked up the story and he was going to be put into the lion's den. And when the king discovered it was Daniel, ah, his heart was pained. He thought of what to do. They ran back and said, King, your time is going. You know this, our law. Once you have put your signet ring, no going back. Daniel has to go into the lion's den. And Daniel himself was ready. Because nothing will stop him from praying. So he went and prayed. Even opened the windows. You know if he had closed the windows, they will now not know whether he prayed or not. So he opened the windows so they will see that he prayed. And Daniel was put into the lion's den. We also have Job. We remember our brother Job. Things were going well. And the enemy said, look at this one. How can things be going so well? And everything got damaged in a day. So that Job came to a major crossroad in his life. What do I do? What do I what is going on? How can somebody's life just turn around like this? And Job said 
In all of those things that happened, I noted that Job did not grumble. Job, he, I mean, he talked like a human being. He was pained. His body was paining him. Even his wife said, Kai, this one is too much. Just cause God and die. His friends did not help. But Job also gave us that statement. All of us are quick to shout. Though he slay me, yet will I hold on to him. Have we really gotten to that point? Job had gotten to that point. Nothing was going to make him go the other way. Even when he knew that this was a very heavy, heavy, heavy load that had come upon him. He still held on to God. For him, the only way to keep going was to hold on to God. Praise the Lord. And I wanted us to see from these examples that in all of those cases that I cited and we saw victory at the end, those people did not know that God was going to help them. I want us to know that. They just went ahead in faith. Why do I say that? Because you don't know what God can choose to do. When they took off stone to stone Stephen, did Stephen not die? He died. God allowed him to die. Before Peter was arrested, somebody else was killed. Who was beheaded before Peter? James was beheaded. And then they saw that people were happy. They picked up Peter. And I was asking God, but you saved Peter. Why didn't you save this one? Why? You could have, you could have done it. But he chose not to because he's sovereign and he knows what he wants to do at all times. And in Job, in, in that Job scripture, I noticed somewhere that Job said, in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. When you and I get to certain crossroads of our lives, do we find ourselves charging God with wrongdoing? We may not say it all. We may not say it, but we see ourselves charging God with wrongdoing. What about Lot? You, do you remember that our brother Lot? Eh? The Lot that went with um, Abraham and his nephew. You know they got to a crossroad too. God blessed them and their cattle grew so much. And their headsmen began to quarrel with each other. It's not today that headsmen started quarreling. You know. They started quarreling. And Job and Abraham said, Ha, my nephew, let's not quarrel now. See this land. All before us. Make a choice. If you go this way, I'll take this one. If you take this one, I'll take that one. Lot didn't remember that in this is culture. The, the Bible says that you should stand in the presence of the agent. That is his culture. That is respect for senior people. He didn't remember how his uncle picked him. Lot looked up and saw. We don't have time to read that scripture. Go and read it. And saw the beautiful... In fact, the scripture even said, it was even like the garden of God. It was like the garden of Eden. That is how that portion was described. Lot quickly said, uncle, I choose this one. How can you choose before your uncle? He chose. Do we know the end of his choosing? I will remember. He, his family virtually. In fact, his whole life, his wife perished, became pillar of salt. They were almost going to die with, with the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Because he picked. He chose. What he could have said to his uncle, Uncle, I don't know how, how can I choose now? Yeah, but what I can uncle choose. He didn't do that. He chose. He came to a crossroad and he made a decision. Praise the Lord. May we not choose like him. We know about Joseph. Do we know about Joseph? Yes. He came to a crossroad as well. And he had to make a decision. Shall I accept these advances from my boss's wife? It will help my career now. Uh-uh. The woman will just be telling Oga about me and I'll be advancing. Or shall I stand on my honor and integrity and loyalty to my master? And above God, above all, God. said, I will not sin against God. When we stand at the crossroads of our lives, can we make sure that we do not sin against God? In that choice we're making. And so Joseph told the woman, bah, 
no, I won't do this. We know the rest of the story. He was not elevated though. He was sent to prison for choosing to stand on the side of God. But of course we know that God was only preparing him. We know the rest of the story. We don't have time to get into that. What about our brother Esau? Just one day, one crossroad, Esau was hungry. He ran in. His brother was making this very delicious pottage. And he said, food. The brother said, give me your birthright. Esau didn't say, are you crazy? What is the relationship between pottage and birthright? See me, see this boy, oh, pottage, birthright. Eh? So that is how he'd been wanting to be the upper instead of me in this house. He didn't talk to you. He said, what is birthright? Please take the birthright. Give me a portage. Let us be careful. The decisions we take at crossroads. And Bible records in verse 34 of Genesis 25. So Esau despised his birthright. Esau despised his birthright. Do you know that when you and I take certain decisions that are inimical to us, what we are doing is that we are despising our birthright. Our birthright as children of God. I despise my birthright for a plate of pottage. For something that is so temporary. For something that is not going to last. I give up what matters. You remember that Esau went out and came back and cried. Heaven had made a decree. And that was how he never got it back. What is the crossroad of your own life? What decisions are you wanting to take? Praise the Lord. There are so many. Samson too. Samson was another person. He got to a crossroad. He fell in love with Delilah. He saw beautiful woman. He fell in love with her. How can I be so in love with you that I'm sitting down with you and you're playing with me and all of a sudden you say, Hey, Sammy, Sammy, Sammy. Ah, the Philistines are upon you. And then you rise up. And the power that God gave you is at work and you defeat them. The next day, this same girl, I will just tell you, Delilah, you know my strength. It's also this finger is enough for you. I'll just pick you up like this and throw you out of the window. What kind of love was it that cost Samson? That cost Samson? How many times did it happen? The same person. Hey, you really love me, you will tell. I don't love you, please go. What kind of love is you know me alive? Because if I get into the hands of the Philistines, they are going to finish me. You, what kind of love is your own? Delilah, tell me, what is your love that you are calling the Philistines for me? It didn't occur to Samson. Until they picked him up and took out his eyes. Made him a laughing symbol. You and I are taking decisions that is making people point at us and laugh at our God. Because we are not able to stand firm. And that was how Samson finished his destiny. It is evident that crossroads are an integral part of our human experiences and no one is exempt from them. Many, 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 many of them are there. Mary, the mother of Jesus, got to a crossroad. A young girl, like many of our young girls here, keeping herself in purity, in innocence, waiting for the day she'll marry. All of a sudden she found herself pregnant. Talking about, talk about crossroads. Ah, pregnant. Hey, what am I supposed to do? What an embarrassment. But you know what happened? The moment the word of God came, her reply finished it. Luke one thirty-eight. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. That sealed it for her. Many times, because we are so conscious of ourselves, self, what would they say? Self, what would they say about me? What would they say about me? Let them say what they like now. What does it matter to you what they say? What about Joseph, her husband? We read some of these things and it looks so easy. What about Joseph? You're going to marry a young girl, all of a sudden she's pregnant. 
How do you explain to one nagi? How do you explain to your mother and that the girl is pregnant too and is not you? How do you explain it? And the Lord came again. And because he's a very good man, no, that Joseph is a very fine man, very fine brother. He said, I don't want to disgrace her. Let me just put her away silently. And the Lord said, don't do that. And Joseph obeyed. Praise the Lord. Now, these are crossroads that we have seen. And there are many, many. Jesus himself came to a crossroad. What about Paul? His own was too much. Shipwreck. This one, that one. And his life before that was a beautiful one. So he could have gone back. But he didn't go back. We must get to a point where we break, we break, we break, break every bridge that will make me go back. Once the bridge is broken, I can't go back. You know that prophet in, 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 in the Old Testament that um, had plenty of oxen. And when he went to follow one of, was it Elijah or Elisha? He, he, was, he told him um, to, to why, why are you following me? What did I do to you? But he knew God had called him. Bible records that he went back. He burnt the, the, the oxen. He burnt the, 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 the cattle, the cat, and used it for firewood. So, if at any point he wanted to go back, was there anything to go back to? Nothing. Everything had finished. Forward, ever. Backward, never. Do you think it was a small thing that he now collected the kind of power that he collected? Whereas Gehazi went as well and collected leprosy. He went, he collected double portion and became one of the most powerful prophets in the Old Testament. I must realize that when I get to a crossroad, going back is not possible. And that is why he says, pressing beyond the crossroad. I must press beyond it. I have to press. And I have to press correctly beyond it. Praise the Lord. So a few more things that we're looking at. This, this crossroads come in form of trials, great challenges. And what are we supposed to do? I began to search scriptures again. In, in 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse 3, it says, So that no one will be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we're destined for them. We were destined for them. We were made for those challenges. That is your destiny. That is my destiny. God made us, planned it, that these challenges, that is an integral part of our lives. So I can't even escape it, even if I wanted to. But is my heart ready to accept that I was destined for this challenge? I must agree with God. King James says that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were appointed thereunto. You were appointed thereunto. Praise the Lord. Message says, it is part of our calling. Brethren, what is it that is part of our calling? Eh? The trials, the challenges, the crossroads of life, part of our calling. So you were not called minus the challenge. You were called plus them. So the first point to note is that my heart can be helped. Is that I'm on a journey, and everyone on a journey must keep getting to crossroads, where you may need to ask for directions. I must agree with the scripture that says I'm not alone. I'm not alone. God is with me. Brethren everywhere are at diverse crossroads in their own lives. It is the lie of the devil to tell me that my own is just too much. That no one can understand that this my own is too much. First Peter 5.9 says, Resist him, standing firm in faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Don't let the devil tell you it's only you. He tells us that all the time. But it's not true. I've gotten to a point now that God is helping me. I'm choosing what I deliberately believe. I'm choosing to make myself believe something. And that thing that I'm going to choose to believe should be what God has said and not what the devil is telling me for crying out loud. 
should be what God is telling me. Why should I believe what he is telling me when I can choose to believe what I force myself to believe what God is telling me? Praise the Lord. I can help myself by noting God's word. Again, I hope you are noting these scriptures. Many of us come to church, we don't write anything. And I keep wondering how we manage and remember some things. Do you know that God is helping us so much in this matter? Uh, if you have been paying attention, part of this thing we are talking about, Adai the Reverend Anyebwe talked about it, to such, to such a helpful, helpful message. You don't have time to pick it and listen to. You're not even writing. So how do you read it when the time comes? And some, when we looked at the Holy Spirit again, our brother who talked about it, and me, I kept writing and writing and writing and writing. Because I forget and I pick it and look and say, yeah, but this, this is it. God has said it. This is it. We need to remember those things. So when the enemy comes, when he comes, he comes where you don't have anything around you, except what you have money to internalize. So, it says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. That's one part of it. So we have an assurance now that this thing is not strange. It's going to happen to us. Assurances that God will deliver me. That's the second part of it. I have assurances that God will deliver me. How do I know? In Isaiah 30, 21, it says, His voice and his word will keep giving me direction. And thine ears shall hear a word behind this saying, This is the way. Walk ye in it. When you turn to the right hand, when you turn to the left. I like to tell God this one all the time. I say, God, it was you that said I will hear the voice. I want to hear it too. It has to tell me which way to turn. I'm at a crossroad. And I need to hear. I need to hear from you which way I'm going to turn. When I was preparing for this message, I, I realized that there are a few stories I need to share with us. We don't have a lot of time. So that we'll know that when we get to this crossroads, let's just allow God. I, I was looking at um, something that one sister um, was talking about, and she says, card for a purpose, card, that is APA, S-C-A-R, a scar on your body, that the scars we have, they're all for a purpose. I don't know what purpose God wants to use my own scar for. I think my sister is looking for a scripture I mentioned, Isaiah thirty twenty one. Isaiah thirty twenty one. I noticed somebody looking for it, Isaiah thirty twenty one. right. Isaiah 30, 21. I'm a little fast. That was the scripture of, um, you will hear the voice. But I was talking about this sister that talked about the fact that we are scared for a purpose. Many of us say, let it be another person. Let it not be me. Why not me? Please don't get me wrong. Me, oh, I'm the chief of those that kept saying, why me? Why me? Why me? Why me? Some years ago, we had, we had, um, one of our weekend outreaches. As we were finishing that outreach, I don't remember whether it was here or she called me on the phone. And I'm going to call names right now so you know that what I'm talking about, the people are here. Our sister, Mommy Ruby, called me and said, Sister Ijoma, please, you're going to come back early. You know, we have the morning session and the evening one will start at four. And she said, you're going to come back early. There's one lady I want you to help me talk to her. I don't know what to say to her. I, I feel I should ask her to, I feel I should ask you to talk to her. What was the story? A number of young bankers had traveled for a seminar or something. And were coming back and there was an accident somewhere in Delta State. And all of them died, including the husband of this girl. And she was pregnant. And the poor girl's head couldn't, she couldn't, she couldn't begin to imagine what had hit her. So she shot up. Nobody could penetrate. Nobody could reach her. So they were now worried. She's pregnant. We don't know what's going to happen to her. So they brought her to mommy. 
Mommy was at a loss for words. She didn't know what to say. So she told me to come back. So when I went to my lying down on my bed, I said, Kai, Mommy doesn't even know. That even myself, I'm needing cancer. And she doesn't even know how I'm hurting. She wants me to come and talk to someone. What will I even tell the person? That's what I was saying. But you know, and I must obey the last order. So when it was time, I got up and came here. The moment mommy saw me, she took the girl and gave me, I could see the relief on her face, as if there was something I was going to do to the girl. So I took the girl, we went behind there, and we sat down there. I brought a chair, and I looked at her. And I said, I heard what happened to you. And she was staring at me like, let me see what you're going to say. And I said, you know, it happened to me too. Happened to me. So, 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 and so years ago. Yes. Now I had her attention. She's there looking at me very well. And I said, you know, this, I don't know what I said. Honestly, I don't know. But we were talking. We were talking. As we were talking, one of my daughters came into church for that. She came from school. I didn't know she was coming. When she stepped in, she saw me sitting with that lady. So she said, hi, mom. And I said, hi. She knew I was canceling, so she passed. So I said to the young girl I was talking to, do you see that girl? She said, yes. I said, does she look like a, a child that doesn't have a father? She said, no. I don't know how those that don't have fathers look. But I just said, does she look like... She said, no. I said, that's my daughter. I said, and do you know what? She's in medical school. She's going to graduate soon. She was looking at me. I said, do you know what? God will do the same thing for you. All you need to do is cling to him tenaciously. He will do it for you. I had her attention. We talked. We prayed. She left. Me, I went to my own. The next Sunday, our daddy here, Reverend Anago, was pursuing me. She said, Joma, thank you. Thank you. You don't know what you did for us. What did I do? Ah, that girl, she came back. She ate food for the first time in many days. We were becoming afraid that something terrible was going to happen to her. I didn't know what I did. I said, okay, thank God. I still went. It didn't end there. Some years later, my children would need to go to, um, to the dentist. By then, our Reverend had left this church. I had forgotten the incident. They would go to see a dentist and he would treat them. Do very extensive procedures. And he refused to, to build them. And I said, ah, what happened? They said, he said, no, many years ago. It got to a point of embarrassment. I said, we're not going to go to Reverend God's clinic again. How are we not going to pain because of him many years ago? That is him right here asking. I don't, I don't know that girl. I haven't seen her anymore. I, sometimes I regret that I didn't continue to follow up. But what am I saying? It was the simple fact of telling her, you're not alone. Look at me here. Look at me. That gathered her mind. That made her eat. They said she came home, she ate and she became home again. Somebody they were thinking of sending to hospital. I don't know why you are at your own crossroad. God is testing you and is wishing you will pass so that from that crossroad, he can use it to reach out to so many all around you. Praise the Lord. So, we're still talking about the second part. Assurances that God will deliver us from those crossroads. We looked at the fact that deliverance will come from God. In Second Peter 2.9a, please you may write it. Second Peter 2 verse 9a says, If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials. God knows how to rescue us from... But look at what it says there. It says, godly men. is not everybody, godly men. And Jeremiah 6.16 says, If I ask for the way, he will show me. That's what Jeremiah 6.16. Who are you asking for the way? I don't know who you're asking for the way at your own crossroads. Again, I will share another story. Sometime a year or two ago, I was at a crossroad. I'm still at that crossroad, by the way. But that particular day, the weight of the matter came on me. I forgot everything I've learned. I forgot everything I've been teaching myself. I forgot everything. I decided to cry that night. And it was the middle of the night. 
And there was nobody there to know that I was crying. And so I had a wonderful time crying. I cried. I cried and I cried. I finished. I started again. I cried so much that I knew I had overstepped the boundary. Because, one, I was almost feeling as if God was standing there. And I couldn't raise my face anymore to look at him. Because all of that crying was saying, God, you can't do this. You're not able to do this. So I was too afraid and too ashamed to look up and say, Father. Because all my crying was, you can't do it. How could I have forgotten all the others he did because of this particular one? I cried, oh brethren. Not only did I, did the crying affect me spiritually, it affected me physically. Because the next morning I knew I was ill. I knew I was ill. I don't have BP. And God has taken me through very serious matters. And he has decided not, for me not to have BP. And then I was using my own hand to go and call BP. BP, please come. So that morning I knew I was in trouble. I ran to Renox. I said, please take my VP. And they took it. They said it was elevated. I said, yes, see, Jomashe, that's what you want. I called my daughter. I called one of my sons in Parkland. I came. He looked at me. He said, we have to put you on medication. I called my daughter. She said, no, no, mommy, I don't want you to go on that medication. What happened to you? I told her the story. So she knew it was circumstantial. She didn't want me to take the medicine. I said, let me just leave all of you. Let me go and see daddy. I went to daddy's clinic. And he looked me out checked my BP and all that, and I don't know that I told him what happened or what did not happen. He cancelled me and all that and all that. And then I was meant to go for a meeting. I used to tell Daddy I was traveling because if I told him, he would have said, don't go, and I wanted to go. So I informed the people, I'm coming, and I don't know whether I had BP or not. I'm not coming with BP, I'm not coming, but I'm coming. So they told their sister to bring um, her, this fig, the thing that they use in checking BP, so they kept it, and the sister was monitoring my BP. And I didn't have to take the BP medication, and I rested, and that period passed, praise the Lord. And what did I resolve? I'm not going to do that again. I will not do that again. Because honestly, it was as if God was in my room, and I couldn't raise my face. I was saying, you, you, don't, you can't do anything for me. I don't know your own crossroads and how you react. I usually don't like to tell my personal stories except to some close people, but today I felt I had to. So you would know. That really, these crossroads can be terrible. But the way we handle them will make all the difference. Praise the Lord. So, in Jeremiah 6, 16, it says, God assures us he will show us the way. He says, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient path. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you'll find rest for your souls. I know what the people in this scripture said. They said, but we will not walk in it though. That's what they said. They told God. His train of Israel said, we'll not walk in it. Maybe God is showing us when we don't want to walk there. Please note that scripture and read it again. Jeremiah 6, 16. Is there a possibility that God's word is coming to you in your own peculiar challenge, but you're not listening or you're not ready to walk in that way he's showing you? I also want you to note 1 Corinthians 10, 13. We're not going to read it now. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Please read it at home. Now, this, this C section is the last. It says, um, reward for successfully pressing beyond these numerous crossroads. There are rewards for pressing beyond those crossroads. Number one is that you develop perseverance, maturity, and completeness. You develop perseverance, maturity, and completeness. That's in James 1, 3 to 4. As I press beyond this crossroad of life successfully, something will happen. Everyone you press through, something happens. Everyone you press through, something happens. You develop perseverance, maturity, and completeness. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance, that's verse 4 of that scripture. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and good 
and complete, not lacking anything. Praise the Lord. Another point is that you will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. This is part of the reward as I cross the crossroads of my life successfully. I receive a crown of life. And that's the scripture reads, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Number three, that of, of the benefit. My decisions at my crossroads prove my faith and result in praise, glory and honor. When Jesus is revealed. And this is in First Peter 1, 6 to 7. If you want to write it down, First Peter 6, 1, 6 to 7. And also Second um, Corinthians 4, 17. These are all the things that show that there is a proving of my faith that will result in praise. Second Corinthians 4, 17 and First Thessalonians 1, 4. So, finally, what do I do when I'm faced with that direction at major crossroad? I'm at a major crossroad. What do I do? Because some of you may say to me, Sister Ijeoma, you don't even understand all these things you're saying. I've done them. You don't understand this is my own. You don't understand. This my own is not all level at all. Let me tell you, I'm part of it. If, you, if it asks us to come at those in this kind of level where you have done everything and you're still looking at some crossroads, I'll be the first to stand out there. I have crossroads that I don't know what to do. But what are we supposed to do? And I, I felt the Lord telling us, God is telling all of us, me especially, and all of us that stand in this category, to simply stand. Brethren, what did I say? Stand. 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 S-T-A-N-D. You know I'm a teacher. What did we say we should do? Stand. Stand. Because I kept saying, hey God, all this is in your Some of us, we, we know we have what these things are still there. What do I do? Stand. The first scripture is in Ephesians 6, 13. Actually, 10 to 13, but I'll just read 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Verse 14. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Stand. Do you know... As God began to show me this, I realized that this matter of standing is the most difficult one. We are human beings. We like activity. I like to feel I'm doing something. I'm praying. I'm fasting. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray and fast. I've been praying and fasting. But I'm saying, stand. Stand. Don't run around. I got to a point to myself where I said, ah, ah, I've done everything. Where else? Where else? Where else can I go? Where else can I go? What else can I do? And then I'll come to church and the prophecy will come. You, who is looking for where to go? You, who is looking for... I said, God, I'm not going anywhere. I think I'm sitting down here. JJ. Where are you going? Where are you running to? Stand. 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 After you have done everything to stand. And he says, stand firm. Stand firm. With the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Is your breastplate of righteousness in place at you, as you stand at your crossroads of life? Remember that one we saw, that God is able to rescue godly men. You must be godly. He's going to come. But you're going to stand, standing firm with your breastplate of righteousness in place, in place, in place. Stand occurs three times in these two verses. Two verses stand occurs three times. So when I'm utterly bewildered, not knowing which way to turn, I must simply stand. When I'm standing, number two, when I'm standing now, what am I doing? I'm waiting for him to come and intervene. That's the most difficult thing to do, to wait for God to come and intervene. He says you should stand. Eh? And this 
breastplate of righteousness must be in place. I have to check myself. The next point is in Second Thessalonians 2.15. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. In Second Thessalonians 2.15, Paul says, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. Hold firm. Stand. As I'm standing, Akamam and the empty. What am I doing? Holding fast to the teachings that were given to us. Holding fast to the word of God. I've come to realize over and over again, I keep saying it. There is nothing that God can ever accomplish in any life aside from the instrument of his word. It is only the instrument of God's word that remains what he's going to use to, to do anything. To do anything. How much of the scripture do you know? How are you allowing this word of God to engage you? It is as you read the word of God that you see all those things and then the devil tells me and I'm telling him another one. He tells me and I'm telling him what the word of God says. And I'm telling him who are you that you want me to believe you. I'm choosing to believe this word of God. And I'm holding tenaciously onto it. Praise the Lord. So as I'm standing with my armor in place, I'm also holding on to the word of God. The Bible, the teachings we have heard for those of us that are blessed to be hearing correct things here. Another point is James James, that's the third point. James 5, 7. He says, be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. Be patient. So as I'm standing, I must be patient. You know, to stand and be waiting, you must be patient. You don't give God time. You don't know what his calendar is. He makes all things beautiful. Not in each German's time. In his time. Or in its time. Some read that in his time. In the time of that thing. And I don't know when the time of that thing is for God in my calendar. You know, Ben Carson says the big picture. The person that has the big picture is God. I don't have the big picture. I must agree to follow the person that has the big picture. Praise the Lord. So in verse 8, it says, You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. So I should be patient because the timetable is not in my hand. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of God. So continue your activities. Continue what you're doing. Don't doubt. Don't allow the enemy to begin to tell you, how do you even know this is true? You know that scripture in Second in Kings, where there was a famine in the land, and all of a sudden something was going to happen, and that officer said, even if God were to open a window in heaven, this thing can't happen. It can't happen. In his own limited understanding, it couldn't happen. Do you know that's how the enemy makes us to limit God? And the prophet told, the thing has already happened though. You will see it with your eye, just so you will know that it happened, but you will not be a part of it. And that was what happened. May the Lord forbid that I will begin to see victory at the other end, and the enemy will terminate my appointment here. May it never happen to us in Jesus' name. And in verse 46, 10, it says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And I want to add that God will be exalted at all the crossroads of our lives in the name of Jesus. Scared for a purpose. Some years ago, I read, I'm actually done. I read a book. And that book was titled, Hope Grows in Winter. It's a collection of stories. Honestly, when you're reading that book, at a point you close it and put it down. And then you go back again. I remember one of the stories in particular. You know, when God wants to help your heart, he brings many things, resources, books, friends, he uses many things to help you in his, in his own work with you. And in one of the stories in that book, my sister gave it to me as a gift. Beautiful book. Difficult to read. That one was a, a reverend in the U.S. And he was going home, I think, from church. 
and there was a car crash. And so he came down as a reverend and went to help. And he saw that there was a human being underneath, excuse me, underneath the vehicle. So he went on his knees to help get to that person who was under. And of course, you know where there was a car crash? There were broken pieces of glass and all that. And so this man went under. They cr- crawled, uh, crawled out with the person. They took the people to the hospital and all that and all that. That's not the story. The story is that after some time, the reverend became sick. And they began to wonder, what is happening to reverend? And they tested and tested and tested. Brother reverend had HIV. Reverend said, HIV. I know I'm faithful to my wife. How did I get HIV? Are you, even if you are his wife, how would you feel? But he was, his wife also knew he was, he was a correct child of God. Do you know, it was from crawling on broken bottles mixed with blood at the scene of the accident that God permitted his, his, his correct son to contract HIV. How do you explain things like that? Talk about crossroad of life. And did, nobody prayed for him and he disappeared overnight too. There was extensive treatment. The, I don't know what they call This one will go up. This one will come down. The numbers were going up. I was shivering. I said, hey, God, Reverend, helping out. Contrast HIV from there. How about God? That is me thinking. God is sovereign. And he will do what he wants to do. And there were many other stories in that book. I will end with one last story. A sister called Taiwo Ikomi. I had been wanting to see her. I've never seen her. When she came to Ibado, there were no phones then, so I couldn't see her. But I wanted to see her and touch her body and say, Sister, this sister, she went to the U.S. to join her husband. One fine brother like that, Johnny. Young people. And when she got there, I don't remember whether the wedding was here or there, but then we were married and she had three children. Twins, a boy and a girl and another one. Three children. And one day, they were going to... They were going to go to somewhere where they were going to change Johnny's school. And on their way and on their way, no, they were going to go to a new place. They wanted to move. So the, the brother told the wife, Taiwo, I want you to travel with me. Get the children and all of us will go. And she said she wasn't happy with that. That she likes when he travels so she can catch up with her housework. You know in the US you don't really have people helping you. And then he had not been working so he was always at home and needing a lot of her time. So her housework was suffering. She wanted the space of him not being there so she could wash clothes, do this, cook food. And the brother said, I really want you to come. She said, okay, I'm going to ask God. So she went to pray. And when she went to pray, she sends God telling her, go with him. So she got ready. But also when she was praying, she sensed in her spirit, you're going to go to Nigeria this year. And she said, go to go to Nigeria. We don't have money for, we're thinking of, we're looking up to you for Johnny's school fees. I'm going to go to Nigeria. Anyway, they left because God had told her to, they packed up their children, they were driving and going to that other town. I don't remember where now. On their way, he suddenly said, I'm sleepy. And she said, okay, pack, I'll drive. So he packed, she started driving. He said, I'm fine now. He took back and started driving. He put his hand on her own, loving couple, and was happy for her, supporting her. I love you and thank you for your support and all that. And they were going. The next thing, boom, from the back of the car. The car burst into flames. She didn't, of course, nobody knew what she said that. When she was, because she wrote the story. She found herself in a gutter. And in that ditch where she was, Somebody held her hand and pulled her out. And she was saying, my children are in that car. My husband, my children, my husband. And the man said, it's okay, it's okay. okay. Please go to them, go to them, go to them. All of a sudden, she passed out again. Eventually, the ambulance arrived. 
and um, all the things that we're doing. To cut a long story short, my brethren, Sister Tawo's husband and three children died in that thing. She was saved. When she now started asking the ambulance, who, where is that man that brought me out of this? They said, which man? We didn't see any man. There was no man. She was sure she saw a man. The only thing she could eventually read, um, this, this, well, the only thing she could say was that God sent an angel to bring her out. If God sent an angel to bring out Sister Taiwo, why didn't that angel bring out every other person? And so she was writing that this is her story. The, what, what, um, the first time she had to appear in court, she met the, it was just a young boy that maybe, I don't know whether he was drunk or not, I don't know, but he ran red. You know, in their places, but it's very expensive to run red. You can run the red light, you can hit somebody. And that was what happened. And she said when she finally saw him, she looked at him across the, 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 the courtroom. This young boy, my husband, my three children, just like that, because of the carelessness of this boy. Crossroad. Forgive or not to forgive? She said she had to forgive him. Brethren rallied around her. Brethren were around her. She said the first time she had to go to her house, she honestly couldn't believe it. Everything was exactly where she left before going. And then she wrote this book. I was reading the book and I was crying. And at the end of it, she said, that is this. She went to Nigeria now. Now you see why she had to go to Nigeria. Why God said she would go to So God already knew that thing was going to happen. She went to Nigeria. She said, I went back to Nigeria empty the same way that I left, like Naomi. She left without having children, joined her husband, had children, and they were planning to go back and show home people, my children and all that. She was going back again, empty, after the funeral. And then she went back to the U.S. I said, I'm going to continue with God. She got to a crossroad. She didn't curse God. She continued, and that was why I wanted to see her. And say, eh, this one is not Bible. This one is, she's alive. She's still in the U.S. today. She said, I don't know what's going to happen to me. I don't know. I'm just going to be holding on to God. Eventually, I may marry again. I may have other children. I don't know. All I know is that to him alone be the glory. Brethren, that is our God for you. We are at different crossroads. Finally, 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 I'm ending with Romans 8, 38 to 39. My, one of my very beautiful scriptures. It says, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things present, nor the crossroads of my present life, nor things that will yet come, nor the crossroads of tomorrow, nor none of them shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, the problem with this scripture is that this is Paul's persuasion. What is your own persuasion? Bow your heads and begin to pray. What is your own persuasion? What is your own persuasion? Are you persuaded that no crossroad is going to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus? Have you come to that point? You know all these things we are saying will be like grammar or Greek to you if you don't have a support system. We are looking at people that have support. We are looking at people that Christ is their support. And we are being told that we have been destined for Wahala. We have been destined for crossroad. We have been destined for all of these things. And yet God will deliver us from all of them. When he delivers me, he takes me to the next one. When he tries me, the trial of my faith, he begins to want to, the comfort I receive from that one, I will use it to comfort another person. You who is here, can you present your crossroad before the Lord? Can you beg him? Kai, even this crossroad is not enough to separate me from God. There is one that I'm in now. is a major crossroad. But I'm telling myself as I'm telling you that even this crossroad is not going to separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Can you beg God to help you? The love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Who is this Jesus to you? Has he become your savior? 
Has he become your helper? Has he become real to you? Do you have an experience? Eh? Is this carrying you for a purpose? Are you grumbling? Are you muttering? Are you saying, why me? Why me? Why not? That? Why another person? Why not you? God wants to test you and put you up as a showcase. The way he put up Job and Job did not disappoint. And when he puts me up, am I going to disappoint him? Am I going to allow the momentary challenge, the momentary trials to remove my focus and my gaze from where God is taking us to? If you don't know Jesus, you know your own is double now. Because you can't even begin to key in to the scriptures. You can't key in to those things. Because there is no anchor. There is no anchor. You need to have Jesus in your life. That is where you can say that you are persuaded that nothing will separate you from the cross. Nothing, nothing will separate you. Our song said, that help me walk from day to day. Near the cross I will watch and wait, hoping, trusting ever till I reach the golden strand. Are you waiting? Are you watching? Are you hoping that you'll be able to cross over? If you know you've not accepted Lord Jesus, this is yet another opportunity. He, you need him. These crossroads are plenty and we need the Lord Jesus to help us through all of them. This is an opportunity to invite him into your life. He makes all the difference. He becomes my anchor. He becomes my support. You know, some weeks ago, our brother said that he's with you. He's in us. He works with us. He works for us. He has to be there. But if you don't know him, he can't do any of those things for you. This is another opportunity. Would you like to accept the Lord Jesus into your life this morning? Would you like to invite him to that crossroad that you're going through? Tomorrow may be too late. Today is a great opportunity. We have heard the word. Can you pray again just this moment? Just this moment, open your mouth and tell God, I will stand, and having done all, I will stand. And having done all, I will stand therefore. And having done all, I will be steadfast, I will not be moved. I will look unto you, the author and finisher of my faith, who for the joy of the crown that was laid ahead of you, the joy of the victory, endured the cross, despised the shame, went beyond their crossroads, and now you are seated in glory. I will also pass beyond the crossroads, standing in your world patiently, and I will hear you saying, It is well with the righteous, in the name of Jesus Christ. <laughs>